Welcome to the Index Podcast, hosted by Alex Kahaya. Plug in as we explore new frontiers with Web3 and the decentralized future. Hey, everybody, this is Alex Kahaya, and you're listening to the Index, hosted by The Graph. Today, we are speaking with Olayinka Odeniran, who is the CEO of. Siv Sec Watch, a cybersecurity consulting firm and founder of the Black Women Blockchain Council. The Black Women Blockchain Council was started to create a space where Black women were promoted, supported, and educated about blockchain. The company's vision is to make sure that in building the future of blockchain, no one is left behind. Olayinka, thanks so much for being on the show. I think the work that you're doing is incredibly important, and I'm really excited to to help other people learn more about what you do and 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 its impact on the space. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We were already having a really awesome conversation right before this thing started, but uh, I'd love to step back and just have you speak more about your path and how you got to where you are today and let people just kind of generally get to know who you are and, and what you're about, and then we can kind of go from there. Yeah. So, you know, I started from the compliance field, risk management. I've been 16 years, over 16 years in the financial industry. And coming from that background and that knowledge, it actually allowed me to transition into cybersecurity. I actually took the leap and decided to leave a career that I've had years of experience in and transition into something that was unknown uh, solely because the SEC at the time uh, wanted the chief compliance officer to be involved in cybersecurity. And I took it as a call to go back to school. So I ended up with my master's in cybersecurity management and policy. And with that, I was able to transition into a role as a cybersecurity professional. I do have my certified information security manager certification as well. So I've been helping a lot of firms, um, small businesses navigate through this cybersecurity landscape, uh, built up their infrastructure as well as their policies and procedures. Um, I got into blockchain really during my transition phase and a friend of mine actually told me about Bitcoin. And uh, that individual told me back in 2015, I should get into Bitcoin. I was like, no, I'm not going to do that um, because of my role at the time. So it didn't make sense for me. However, I started researching the Bitcoin and realized the technology was actually the one that I fell in love with. And after falling in love with the technology, I started to provide all kinds of education about it. At that time, it was uh, mistaken or synonymously referenced to Bitcoin. So I wanted to make sure that people understood the difference. And from there, got involved in this whole ecosystem that we were building at the time. Realized that there wasn't a lot of women in the space. And in 2018, that actually became a big <laughs> push and it created a movement uh, to increase women in the space. So I was uh, connected with international women across the globe who were in this blockchain space. And we decided to build up a telegram group. Uh, we cultivated over 500 signatures of females who were interested in speaking about this technology so that next time when conferences have speakers, they know who to tap into. And that actually allowed me to get involved in the space on a different perspective. And I also decided to create Black Women Blockchain Council solely because I wanted to make sure that as Black women, we do not get left behind with this particular technology because I see a great future for everyone when it comes to this tech. 
I couldn't agree more. I think I think inclusion is so important, and it's a part of the ethos behind Web three. But like so many new technologies, like and where the value accrues, and like the kinds of people that even have access to the opportunity to invest in these kinds of things, at least early on when there's like so much upside for the the risk. Yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of education that has to happen to build awareness in various communities that are not typically included in that for a variety of reasons, which I'm sure you're you know, more educated on than I am. You know, there were, there were some stats that I was uh, reading in this TechCrunch article that you were a co-author of that I think speak to that. And I was actually really surprised. One of the statistics here that I see is black women make up just 4% of crypto investors. It's a really complex discrepancy because... Also, women and people of color are more likely to invest in crypto. So about 44% of all crypto traders are people of color and 41% are, are women. I was surprised by those facts and figures. Uh, can you tell me more about that? Like, how did you guys find those numbers and what does that mean? You know, what are the implications of that? Within the Black community, there's been a big push on trying to find means of getting more of our people to be involved in finance to be involved in investing, and also find pathways to create generational wealth. However, historically, there's always been barriers or limitations there for us. So when cryptocurrency came into play and, you know, you it doesn't matter what color, you know, it doesn't matter what age, what gender, you know, that you are in, we were able to latch on and actually take it and be able to participate in so many different aspects of it. Cryptocurrency just happens to be one of those things that a lot of the people within the community are spreading information about. They're educating everyone all the way down from, um, you know, our seniors all the way down to the young kids, wherever they are. There's a lot of education going on in our community. Uh, we have thought leaders who have decided to step into this space and create or facilitate pathways for individuals to tap in. We have individuals like Isaiah Jackson that actually uh, wrote the book uh, Bitcoin and Black America. And that became a phenomenon within the, the community and people started getting introduced to Bitcoin, particularly um, from that particular book. And then once they jump in, then they realize, oh, there's other cryptocurrencies out there. And just being able to participate without the barriers has really helped us navigate through this space and build up the number of uh, statistical favorable well, stats that aligns with our involvement in this space. Yeah, it's really interesting that you bring up the barriers. A big value of Web3 is being permissionless and open, right? Open in source code and, and in community. And this is something that all the projects that I'm involved in building, whether it's like working my work at the Solana Foundation, my work with the Graph, my work at my company, Olaplex, like everything that I work on is permissionless, open source, decentralized. And the permissionless nature, going back to like, an, I guess what, an old school example, I'm thinking of this movie. I cannot remember the name of the movie, but it was about these entrepreneurs, African-American entrepreneurs from like LA and they bought a bank in Texas. I can't remember. They were trying to get loans to buy real estate in, in California and they couldn't get loans because they were black. Like literally then no one would, would lend to them. That kind of thing doesn't happen in crypto because if you need a loan, you just collateralize an asset and boom, you get a loan and you don't talk to a bank or see anybody. There's like this pool of liquidity and anybody in the world has access to it. And I think 
until you start using some of these technologies, it's kind of hard to grasp. Like if you've ever gotten a mortgage and then you go and get a loan or a line of credit in crypto, it's gonna it like changes the way you look at the world. I mean, it opens a lot of doors. It does. It's easier. It's quicker. You don't have to go through the rigorous, you know, aspect of filling out forms and paperwork only to find out that, you know, you've been denied, right? Whether or not you're in the space, you're participating somehow, some way. And once you have that collateral, then it's like, okay, well, now you can use it against whatever else you want to purchase and however else you want to participate in this space. And it's, you know, it, it's, it's freedom that we typically have not had. And if we had it, we had to jump through multiple hoops. And it's probably not as much as we had initially hoped for. And then that also comes with, you know, additional risks, right? Because then, you know, you're you're banking on a high interest rate, you know, <laughs> solely because you happen to be part of a demographic. And then, you know, that that causes more and more barriers as well. I keep thinking in my head as you're saying all that stuff the, about the payday loan industry, right? And which which impacts a Black America way he- heavier than any other segment. It's predatory, right? In in many ways. Actually, my my partner Brian Fox came up with this idea a long time ago about like using DeFi to create payday loans that that had that actually you would just like break even on or earn money even on as a, as a borrower just because you were using de- decentralized finance, like like an automated yield farming strategy on the back end or something that like the user never really knew about or cared about. I mean, because it was decentralized, you know, something like, you know, Venmo's of the world and all those guys, they, like they hold float and that's how they make money. In a decentralized finance world, you could hold that float and redistribute that back to users and reward people for providing liquidity. I actually would love to hear from you, like, what are the opportunities that this space brings to your community that we can like that are being realized today, you know, like that you're seeing happen in the community with, you know, more like mass adoption type opportunity. If, if, if you have any on your radar, I'd love to hear about it. Besides cryptocurrency, because that's bringing a lot more opportunities. We actually have one individual that right now is going to 42 cities and introducing the locals there to Bitcoin, as well as other cryptocurrencies, just giving them that solid foundation and letting them see that it's not just something that they hear in the news or maybe from, you know, that quote unquote crazy person (laughs) down the street, right? That it's something valuable and there's a lot more going on in this space than just, you know, the, the FOMO that's, it's oftentimes created. Other things are like, you know, the, the healthcare industry, right? Healthcare has always been an aspect that we as black people have not really benefited greatly from. We've found out that, you know, oftentimes we don't get the right type of uh, care when we go into the hospital. A lot of us are fearful of going into the hospital, but if you have ways to connect with your doctor or medical facility, in a way that it's beneficial for you. Now you can track and trace the way that the treatments are being provided to you, right? Now that's visible, as well as, you know, being able to travel to other countries and having that medical record right at your disposal, as opposed to- Do you know anyone working on this problem? Are you working on this problem right now? So I'm not working on the problem, but there is a company called Patient Tree that is looking at medical records and um, having it on the blockchain. So that is one. There's another, I'm actually an advisor for uh, John Hopkins Research that they're currently looking at NFTs 
to help you tie you to your ultimate DNA, your blood cells, right? Oftentimes when you take blood cell or you give blood samples, they don't use all those samples. They, you know, do the testing out of a portion of it and then they take the rest, they de-identify it. It now becomes a sample, right? And then they sell it off to research facilities as well as pharmaceutical companies. And whatever, you know, medical breakthroughs comes out of those cells, right? They reap the benefit, right? <laughs> you know, the project that I'm working with, that I'm advising for, they're actually looking ways to not de-identify, but tie it to you using NFTs so that that way your information is not entirely out there, but they do know that this thing is tied to you so that if for some reason a medical breakthrough comes out of your DNA, then you know, you'll be able to reap the benefit as well as uh, not just monetarily, but you know, the, the fact that it's your ultimate DNA. So that just means that that breakthrough specifically works a hundred percent for you. Right. And so your lineage can also benefit from that. You know, historically, there has been this lady um, by the name of Henrietta Lacks and all the, you know, drugs and breakthroughs that we've had so far were solely because of the cells that they cultivated from her back around the 1920s or so. Her family members have not been able to reap those benefits. And so now they're, you know, they have a lawsuit going on trying to target the proceeds that have been made off of her DNA over the years, right? So, you know, things like that, you know, can definitely benefit not only the community, but everyone, right? If someone has cancer, cancer is genetic. If someone has cancer and there was a breakthrough for that specific type of cancer, guess what? For you and your lineage, that's that's, that's the uh, drug that you want to be able to use, you know, and not just be uh, prescribed some random drug that you never know might not be as effective. Yeah, and I mean, th I think also if you can find a way to have me, the NFT holder, have access to my data and that lineage, but also enable the public to have access to that data, but not show my specific data, but just an aggregate, the transparency it could create would be really important. I mean, I think about going back to your earlier statement about the Black community being afraid of going to the doctor. One area of impact where I hope to work and where I am putting some effort in, into is maternal health and pregnancy. And if you look at, it's already pretty bad in the U.S. It's not, it could be better, I guess. Um, there are a lot of great doctors and a lot of people, nurses and stuff. They're, you know, heroes and angels and everything like that, but definitely could be better. But if you look at African-American women and how they're impacted in, mater in the maternal health field, it's, it's quite scary. It's quite scary. But having that transparent data uh, for those records and treatments and outcomes and for DNA and all that stuff be associated on chain and, and, and with your identity that way it would be, I think, pretty mean, meaningful for obviously individuals and also the, the public. Hopefully it would cause some improvements. That's what we're hoping. So you mentioned, so we've been talking about NFTs a little bit. We talked about this before we got on the show. You mentioned, and, and you talked about education, and you said that you had just onboarded a bunch of ninth graders onto using Olaplex storefronts for NFTs. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah. So a friend of mine works with the Dow company, um, and they have an academy in Michigan. Like Dow Chemical or? Yeah, Dow Chemical. Yeah, Dow Chemical. There's a nonprofit organization that's called the Dow Treasure Academy, DTA. You know, I was working with them and they, they were interested in introducing their ninth graders to 
you know, blockchain into NFTs and having them create NFTs. So we had, we just finished up a, a three day course onboarding them onto, you know, understanding the technology as well as creating NFTs. So they got to understand what type of applications that they can download and access to be able to create those digital artwork. And then they went through the process of uploading it to Holoplex. It was something that they were really interested in. I actually funded their wallets. They individually, it was 17 of them. They all had um, a certain amount of money that I sent them to put in their wallet. They were really surprised that it was fast. Because as I was talking to them, Solana. I was sending it to them. Solana. And they were like, oh my God, I got it. <laughs> I'm like, yes, it's that fast. They love that aspect. And um, being able to upload it to the Holoplex store for DTA was also a fantastic. We're still finalizing everything. Well, let us know. Let us know when those auctions go up. Let it, let me know. I will, you, I, hey, hey, I told them. I was like, you never know. You might get sold. So, yeah. So they're very excited. They can't wait. All of them have like their own interpretation of, you know, art. Um, some of them are poets. So you'll see some poems in there and some of them are artists and others have animation. You know how ninth graders are. So they're bringing their authentic self to the space. That's awesome. I love to hear that. It makes me super happy. And I think it's, it's, I just love hearing that a group of ninth graders like set up a wallet and you probably taught them a little bit about like self custody and like that the, in the, you know, Hey, these are seed phrases. They're super important. Keep those safe. It's amazing the time we live in, you know, like I'm, I'm 35. So, you know, I, I, I remember dial up and like the Oregon trail, you know, the big floppy drives and just seeing the, you know, seeing the advancements in like in the technology and like thinking through the paradigm shift that these kids are going to grow. And the same thing happened with mobile and social media. Like when back when I was, a, when I was 10 years ago, when I was a high school, middle school teacher, we were having the same kind of thing with mobile and kids on social media. It's just really exciting to hear a shift towards self-custody for, for that kids are now going to get exposed to. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I was excited. Made sure that I emphasized security, right? Because, I mean, you know, that young, there's so many vulnerabilities for kids that young, you know. Someone is going to write it on their piece of paper and forget what it is, right, and throw it away. Here's the thing, you know, <laughs> it, it's permissionless, right? So. They're going to get some bids. They're going to make some kid is going to make a couple hundred bucks. Okay. And then they're going to go and they're going to see some drop on like Magic Eden and they're going to mint it. And all of a sudden it's going to be worth like 300 soul, you know, and they're going to have like 30 grand in their, in their wallet. And like, I mean, it literally could happen, right? It's, it's like crazier things have happened. And so, and so the self custody piece matters, you know, it matters a lot. They need to know what they're doing. If you're listening to this, write your seed phrases down. Do not share them with anyone. Put them in multiple safe places because before you know it, you'll have actual money on your wallet and you do not exactly. want to I mean, that's, that's the whole purpose, right, of creating wallets because you're going to have all, all sorts of assets in them, right? So you want to make sure as you're building that you think of it as a bank account. That's your own personal bank account. You don't want everybody to have access to your bank account. So you got to think security first and security all throughout. It's a process and it's a journey, but you know, you'll definitely get there. 
Yeah. And, and as the technologies improve, the kinds of assets that you can store are, are changing and improving as well. And just as an example, and I want to loop the graph in here with the shout out, like we built, we built an indexer at Olplex that indexes all the uh, data all uh, for any, any program on Solana, but we started with, with NFTs. We also built this like little protocol called a social graph that um, allows us to on-chain store your who you follow and who follows you. Soon we'll be using the graph, hopefully soon, to actually do the indexing in a decentralized fashion. The reason I bring it up is because because everything's on-chain. And then if you think about like a multi-chain world where you can use this data across chains and applications with indexing being kind of at the center of it, the types of assets you store in your wallet are going to become more and more important, right? Like Imagine an influencer with a million followers that all that data is stored on chain and connected to their wallet address, you know, and, and that's like a very valuable asset that no one thinks of it like that today because the platforms own it. You know, Twitter owns your, your follower, your, your, that audience. Now you can own your audience, you can own your art, you can own your money. You know, it's like what else can we own that we don't own now? Yeah. And I think going back to the thing that you started with, which is the opportunities it's going to create for for everyone, that ownership is huge. So much data extracted out of every community, but obviously disproportionately affecting the African-American community, the Latinx community, and, and many others. Where are the impacts worse or better on the, those communities than they are in general? And what can we do to improve? I think the gap really is that historically, the Black community has not been creators of tech. We've always been consumers of tech, right? Um, and so a lot of people are either coming into this space assuming that it's technology and they need to have some kind of technical background. And so therefore, there's a hesitance unless you know somebody has shown them how to purchase a Bitcoin. They kind of stop there, Right. And what we're trying to do is educate more people and get them interested in the other aspect, other use cases. A lot of the artistic side of the community have ventured into um, NFTs and they're seeing and they're reaping the benefit and seeing benefit of being involved in that community. I think it's just a slow process right now trying to get a lot of people to understand that this is not you know, a, a fad. <laughs> this is real. <laughs> this is here to stay. And that takes a lot of handholding in our community because we're kind of, you know, we're, we're not, we're not the community that will jump at just anything and take a lot of risk because we know that historically those risks have not benefited us. So we're slow, but making progress into jumping into the space. And even though, you know, we're heavy into crypto and our stats is high there. You have not seen anything yet. <laughs> Wait till the rest of the community wake up, then you'll really see that increase a lot. But as of right now, I just think a lot of people just need to be handheld to jump into the space. And then once they find their way in the space, they'll be able to reap a lot of the benefits. But education is um, one of the great ways uh, of onboarding a lot of people. I think your point about artists and creators is definitely lines with something I've been thinking about and seeing a lot over the last like eight months. Like I have plenty of artists coming on to Olaplex and Solana and that had like never even had a Twitter presence before. And so they're just totally new to even social media and they're selling NFTs and some of them are like quitting their jobs and just like making art full time now. 
And so I think those creators are really leading the way actually in the adoption and education because then they're going out and educating other people and telling them about it. And it's kind of having that viral effect. It's it's really cool to see. I do have one question, another statistic that really popped out to me in this article. And it said that 16% of NFT artists are women. And, and for everybody listening, this was uh, March 18th of this year, you, this article came out. And it says they only receive 5% of the multi-billion dollar industry's turnover. What does that mean? And why is it so... Like, why do you think it's so low? Why do you think it's 5% instead of, you know, a larger percentage that they are able to capture in the value? A lot of women projects aren't being supported unless there's a lot of backing from, I guess, some of the blue chips. And oftentimes, you know, that's hard to even get their interest. You know, when some of these blue chips started, a lot of the people within the community either didn't have the funding to jump into these blue chips or just didn't know about them, right? And so when they get to be sky high, <laughs> like they are, you know, right now and uh, have rightfully earned the blue chip status, you know, then it becomes out of reach for us. When artists jump into this space, there's so many requirements and criteria that they have to jump through. A lot of the times, you know, you got to have utility, you got to have roadmap, you got to have all these things that are stipulated that all of these projects must have. And sometimes some females just don't feel like going through all that process. They just want to create, right? I mean, it's hard enough to be artists, but now having to check the box, right, of uh, the processes and criteria that have been put out there, it just becomes too much. Um, some of them just aren't finding the right type of uh, collectors or eyes on their project. There has been this shift in dynamics where, you know, at this stage, people are interested in what could generate the most interest, what could create FOMO, you know, and what whales are going to purchase, right? And they look at followers. A lot of females don't have a lot of followers. They're coming in and, you know, they probably have a couple of hundred or whatever, but they're not big social media users, right? Oftentimes they may be shy and they might not, you know, jump on Twitter spaces all the time. You know, they have other responsibilities, but they, they, they rather cultivate meaningful relationships as opposed to, you know, being out there and constantly jumping in, in front of people's faces all the time. I, I just think right now the, the shift in the culture is, and this is the whole ecosystem really is focused on blue chip. And whether or not a particular project can scale really fast, you know, I'm hoping that things change to, okay, now let's look at these art, right? For what they are. And let's support those artists that don't have the whales or the followers or all these things, but they have meaningful artwork that should be valued. And I'm hoping that will change the dynamics a little. Yeah, I think the discovery piece is really important and something I've spent a lot of time thinking about. And also like, how do you enable, you know, people with like not a huge following to to monetize and build those relationships with collectors, but on a global, on a global scale. And that doesn't mean that you need 10 million followers. You can have 500 and have 500, you know, maybe, maybe 50 people in that 500 group are like really big supporters of your work. And I think that can be enough. And then I think it's like, 
making it easier for people, creators to have the utility that you're talking about in no code or like low code solutions is really important to like enabling them to build like it's like have what's the what's the blueprint for how to do this successfully, right? And like what are the tools to help you execute? A lot of that's still being defined. You know, it's still so early. Not everybody knows what's going to work for sure. We're getting towards like the top of the hour and I always ask this of guests like what what have I not asked you that you wanted to talk about or that, that I should have asked? Well, I, I would say that, you know, for BWBC, we're currently working towards onboarding more um, Black women blockchain devs into the space. One of the things that we're doing is making sure that in the community, there are resources that we can tap into and there are people that can create or build their own smart contracts. So that's what we're working on with right now. We have an initiative out there to increase the number of Black women blockchain dev because right now it's less than 0.001%. We're looking to increase it to half a million by the year 2030. And uh, that is something that we want to do protocol by protocol. You know, we're starting off first with uh, Ethereum and then we're hoping one day, you know, to venture into Solana and have our females learn the smart contract there and then build on to other other chains as well. I love to hear that and would love to support however we can. It's been wonderful talking to you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been great. You just heard the Index Podcast with your host, Alex Kahaya. If you enjoyed this episode, please give the show a five-star rating and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or your favorite streaming platform. New episodes available every other Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in. Oh, 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 o